Hello, I'm your host, Giselle Gamby, and this is the Intuitive Pool Podcast, where together we'll embrace the plans we did not make yet unfold businesses and lives that are so much greater in wealth in all ways than any business or life plan could ever achieve. My wish is that you make intuition your most trusted advisor. So buckle up, get present, and let's go. It feels like Christmas to me this week because this week I've interviewed two wonderful people already, Annie McDonnell and Susie DeJong. And today I interview another very dear friend of mine, Lizzie Adams or Elizabeth Adams, who lives in the UK. You're going to fall in love with her voice. (laughs) You're going to fall in love with the way she expresses herself. You're going to fall in love with her. That I know. I fell in love with Lizzie a few years ago when I met Lizzie. Thanks to Facebook, isn't it? Thanks to Facebook that we got to know each other that way firstly. And then we we shared some time together. So I'm extremely grateful for that. So Lizzie and I were just talking and normally, as with other interviews, I kind of know where we're going to go. Like with Annie McDonald's Powerfully Sober, I know her story. I know where we're going to go roughly anyway, and the conversation unfolds. But with Lizzie, Lizzie said, this conversation is a mystery. And I love that. And I also felt because... I know Lizzie well and how grace is so important to her. I'm going to use Annie McDonald's words of the sacred walk. I feel like today's conversation will be a sacred walk. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Lizzie. Mm. I just, I have a tickle in my throat. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just remembering, you know, it was in 2011 that I found you on Facebook and just absolutely loved everything that you shared and wrote to you and wanted to work with you. And I waited, <laughs> didn't I? I waited until 2018, 2019, when we first, when I took the leap and um, finally gave myself the pleasure because for me, it was about the unimaginable wonder and the pleasure of speaking into existence what I most would love and having that relationship be about the joy and not the need to fix or solve anything right I'd done that I'd been in process and deep diving for such a long time by the time we came together and it always unfolded something different especially when I wrote the book, remember, on retreat with you. This book arrived, The Wounded Entrepreneur. And I guess what feels like um, I'm discovering is the process of letting go of the hard work, letting go of the striving and the effort and allowing grace to unfold the path. And when I look back at my life, Grace was always unfolding the path. And it was a matter of dropping the judgment and the shame and the blame because I inherently knew what I loved. But I had to give it to myself first. I had to allow myself 
to receive it. And that's that divine feminine, right? Because I mean, I was talking to some women recently in the US over the Wade, uh, Roe versus Wade. And we were talking about how, especially when I was younger, I identified with my dad, right? He was this dynamic, multi-dimensional kind of man who was conquering the world, being an entrepreneur. And my mother was so depressed that I aligned myself with, I want to be like my dad. Mm. And in that denied the feminine aspect because I saw no value in the feminine. And so the joining of those parts of myself has been a really important journey. And through that, allowing myself to receive the lusciousness of, you know, my family, you know, I have two sons. And for the first 14 years of my eldest son's life, I couldn't fully receive him until I learned to drop the judgment, the shame, the blame, the punishment that was mostly directed to myself. You have had a very big life, a very big life. And thus the book, The Wounded Entrepreneur, was written. Another one of those plans that you didn't make mm, with a conversation with Shari L, who I interviewed on the episode Calling in the New Within Ourselves, which I actually have to say is one of the most downloaded episodes. I started this podcast on the 29th of November 2021. Oh. There's 42 episodes out there. Hers is number 39, I think, and it's one of the most downloaded episodes. And I've only re- released it like last week. Wow. So why am I talking? I got lost in the goodness and greatness of Shari. Why was I talking about Shari? Why was I bringing that in? Oh, that's right. Because it was with Shari and myself. It was our little threesome that we had a conversation and the book, The Wounded Entrepreneur arrived. Yes. Yeah. From the, from the retreat, right. From the, the dropping in. And, and so I want to acknowledge the space that you created that was actually a safe enough container to feel that rage. Cause I remember actually the rage I was feeling and it just arrived. <laughs> <laughs> what is this rage and what is this grief and where did it come from? Cause I definitely wasn't feeling that before mm. and by being allowed to be there. Nobody made it wrong. Nobody tried to smooth it over. Right? I was just allowed to be in it. And that night I went to bed and I didn't go to sleep, I don't think, because the book just came and kept coming for about a week, week and a half, two weeks. By the end of the month, I was shattered because all I'd done was right. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was very beautiful to have that as a sort of culmination of our year together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you said that it was through the rage and the grief that you didn't know was was there that Mm. turned up in presence Mm. and Mm. in that container that we were in, in, in that retreat that we were having at that time. And through that rage and grief, came greatness Mm. came Mm. greatness and 
in Shari's episode, it's entitled Calling the New Within Ourselves. And there's a part in that episode that talks about how our humanity is a gateway. It's a gateway for Mm -hmm. remembering who we really are, for honoring who we really are, for seeing parts of ourselves that are genius that we haven't yet seen or fully integrated. And that was you. That was you on that retreat Mm -hmm. where you were able to fully own and appreciate all of your very big life that has you know very well what it's like to be a wounded entrepreneur. So I'd love you to speak about that. I'd love for you to speak about your big life so that the listeners can get a feel and understanding. Sure. I mean, I just want to preface this with an awareness that dropped in yesterday is that our humanness is sort of like we have a set of patterns that are we think are unique but actually that's part of our humanity is that we all go through this level of sort of perception and belief and patterning. It's our heart that's unique, right? It's our hearts that are the unique things about us that you cannot substitute in any way and that we are each so different. And part of our journey is about opening up and receiving our hearts and we only know that when we develop relationship with our with ourselves. We can't, well, we might see that in reflection in our relationship with others because it's always feeding back information that's valuable. But through the cultivation of our relationship with our own hearts, we get to take the step of courage to uncover, you know, the real juiciness that's here for us when we say yes. And how is that relevant? So, I mean, I guess I'll start at the beginning. (laughs) I was born uh, into a fundamentalist Christian home. I was pretty miserable and unhappy. My parents had a very difficult marriage and they moved to the West of Ireland where I grew up. So not only was I in a household that was very disturbed and unhappy, but I also had the religious conditions on top that the messaging was around, you know, that there's a right way to be. When I left home at 16, I left because I was like, I am not doing this religion situation. This is something is not right with this. In fact, one of my strongest memories as a very young child was going God is love and love is all of these things. So this religion and this context makes no sense. What am I doing here? (laughs) So from a very young age, I sort of set a path for myself, but I also had massive self-doubt because I didn't have any validation of what I was feeling. Everyone around me, because you can only be with the people who are in your religion, gave me the template that uh, my parents gave me. So when I left at 16, thinking I'm free now. (laughs) No, no. No. Uh Out of what background, you know, it could be anything, you know, everybody, we all leave, we all grow up and realize that there are, patterns and ways of being that are inherent in our dynamic that are there to challenge us in our growth. 
and also there to have us take ownership and responsibility for the fact that we created it. And, you know, people go, oh, you know, but you were just a kid. And that's true. I did feel powerless. I was just a kid. But actually, there were responses within me that I did have control over, that I didn't know I had control over. Mm. You know, that, that had me, you know, one of the things I recall about early childhood is being, uh, having no emotional regulation, really, and having no one who could hold that. And instead of, because we're children, we don't know how to handle that. In me, that created an even bigger acting out which made it really difficult for my parents, Mm -hmm. right? But I often do a process and I, you know, it's one of the key exercises I'll do with myself or I'll do with others is going back and owning our greatness even at that young age. Oh, wow, I love that. And choosing what response we have in that moment back then from that place of greatness. So what do you see your greatness? What can you appreciate your greatness as that young child was it's, and is? So able, sensitive enough to know what was going on mm. and able to compassionately with, withdraw and, and find a space to be creative. My outlet was my creativity and going off and doing things by myself. And over the years of being an adult, I've had to work through the hiding that comes with that so that I can bring it out and share it with other people, right? Because you get used to hiding. Yeah. 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 All day. So it's a process to allow people in and allow people to see and share. Yeah. So, so really my answer, um, when I came to London, I was just shy of 20 I'd had my first son and it was very disapproved of. My mother actually came to see me. I was living in Holland and she said, she, you know, she was, she was highly religious, but I, should, I wasn't, I'd left. And she said, you know, you have a choice. You don't have to have this baby. Mm. So, but I really wanted my son and I had actually named him three years prior. Oh, wow. So well, I'd said to uh, a friend of mine, I'm going to have a son and I'm going to call him Samson. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, he was born at home on the 31st of March and I called him Samson. But I, instead of being able to receive him, one of the first thoughts uh, in holding him after he was born was, I mustn't get too close to him in case something happens to him. Mm. And you know, it's amazing the telepathy because two or three years ago, he came to me and he said, you know, mom, I always had this thought. Got shivers. (laughs) That you couldn't uh, love me because in case something happened. And I said, well, that was the very first thought I ever had helping you. So, you know, it's like having him 
it, you know, it was this process of, I was under the shame of the context in which he was born. Um, his dad couldn't be with us because he had no papers. He was illegal. So I was found, uh, found myself at a very young age in a position of being on my own, having had a partner who had a qualified, you know, he was an electrician. He could have earned and provided for us with no problem, but we couldn't get the paperwork. And that's a whole other story in and of itself. So ultimately, I was raising him by myself. And it was it was it was as it would be, because actually I was set up to fight in relationship because that's all I'd known through my parents' marriage. So it was actually healthier and safer for me to be alone. Right. Right. Because of the fight that I had become accustomed to. So, so he grew up with a very absent mother emotionally, not able to be present where I put all my energy was into projects. So by the age of 22, I was, I'd come to London with no contacts, no money, <laughs> with this baby and suddenly found, and it, this was my second project, actually, I had spotted that the UK had no information on um, motherhood that um, reflected to me what I wanted to experience. So at that time, I was really into natural childbirth, had my son at home. Uh, co-sleeping, uh, the psychology of children, all of this stuff I was into. And there was nothing in terms of magazines or books. And I really had to dig to find some great authors. Um, I found through that midwives like Robin Lim, who now is in Bali and different people like that. The reason I tell you this is because through that, I then came across an American magazine called Mothering. And I called the editor and I said, I want to launch a UK, a European edition, a European edition of your magazine. And she said, great, yes. And she wrote me this letter of endorsement. I mean, con context-wise, it made no sense. Had she known what I was up against, I don't think she would have said yes, but she didn't know. She said yes. And then I went about making it happen. And it came to a point where I understood that I didn't have the money to print this thing. So I got endorsement from people like Sheila Kissinger, a well-known international author, who, again, I called up, having not known, explained to her what I was doing. I went to her house in Oxford. She loved the project, wrote me a letter of endorsement. Her letter of endorsement got me in the door at WH Smith to see the head of distribution, who said to me that they would uh, stock it as long as I had a publisher. So then I went to a division of EMAP. They had a division called Excel Publishing and I pitched them my magazine and they wrote and said, we love it. We, we're not gonna do it as a consultancy. We wanna buy the project. We wanna purchase this off of you. And then once they got it into print, it ran for 16 years. It was a best selling title here in the UK. But I didn't receive any of the rewards of that, right? And the reason is, you know, I went on to do other projects that brought products to the market in the UK, similar but different. And it was three times after that I realized, what the heck? I'm not receiving the benefit. My family is not receiving the benefit. I'm a workaholic. I work every hour. 
and I have no reward from any of this, even though these projects are out there, they're in magazines, they're making money for other people, what the hell is going on? And I met a mentor. I was in a lot of pain at this point. I was 29, maybe a little bit older, 30, 31. And I was just, I had two children by that point, right? And I, my youngest was just a few years old. He was just two. Again, another situation that was, a, and this is the key, you know, it's like these two places didn't add up. I could go out into the world and almost conquer it. Mm. She was when you said that again. I could go out in the world. I could go out in the world and almost conquer it. Yeah, but my personal life was in complete despair. And I didn't know why. I didn't understand why uh, there was such a big um, gap between who I could be out there and how mm. other people see me and what my personal life actually looks like because the truth sorry <laughs> the real truth there is that for quite a long time when my eldest was little we, we lived in absolute poverty mm. no holidays no clothing nothing because every single penny I had went to buy train tickets to have meetings, <laughs> get to the library, because there wasn't internet at that time. And I had to get to the library, I had to make photocopies of things. You know, I was living on the breadline and every penny I had went to try to make this impact. And, make and, yet, and yet you walked away with nothing. And yet I walked away with nothing. And the reason is I realized through quite a bit of work that I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it for the significance to prove I was worthy enough. Oh. so that I could be in belonging. So say that again so that the listeners can really <laughs> feel that one. Um, that the real intention was never to get the money, even though I thought it was rationally. I thought once this project has got to make millions, right? This, so I'd go after it, convinced of my abilities and prove myself right. Mm. But the real thing was I was never about the money. It was about proving my significance. So I would set myself up with impossible tasks. Like most people would say to me, how did you do that? That's like, I just, I have a job. They pay me a salary. <laughs> For me, I was never interested. I don't want a job and I don't want a salary because I can conquer the world. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. level of never giving myself any security in order to prove I was significant, in order to prove I was worthy, in order to find where I belonged. Mm. That was my whole wounded entrepreneur setup mm. that I enacted upon myself. And it wasn't until my son, so I went on, I, I, I had um, my last project was in corporate well-being and I would get up at five, I'd go to bed at one, I'd be on my laptop or in meetings or whatever all day. My 14 year old said, I get it, mom, I'm the sacrifice. Mm. I'm the sacrifice. And I thought, oh my gosh. So, you know, and I, I, I think about the fact that as women, you know, we've been kind of sold uh, this thing that we can, 
we just have to work hard. <laughs> but the truth is, our feminine nature isn't about working hard. So for us to create and for us to create and receive what we love, it's never about working hard. It's never about the provership. And in the last five years, maybe, maybe a little bit more of my life, I've had easeful abundance and I haven't worked hard. I work about a day a week, actually. I do a bit more than that, but so how do you go from a day a week having abundance? Yes, so how? Working every, every single second of the day, working really hard in provership and never having ends meet. And so, never what, having what, so that's a really good question. Like what were the catalysts that moved you out of workaholism and receiving mm. nothing in return other than this false belief that you would finally be significant, therefore feel worthy and finally feel like you belong, which is never going to happen. What were the catalysts that had you move from workaholism to grace? Mm, mm. I had to get very honest with myself and come out of my denial and my delusion. It's not that my projects were delusional. No, amazing projects. But it was that um, I thought that they would be the savior. Right. And I didn't need saving. I had a beautiful young son. (laughs) You know, things were actually, I was very blessed. I had my health. He was healthy. I mean, he's a healthy young man today. And he was a very healthy child. That in itself is abundant. Yes. Yeah. And being able to play with your children and enjoy them. That's abundance. That's abundance. Yeah. And enjoying the moment with them. <laughs> yes. And I wasn't having any of that because I was like, it won't be enough until I've got this. Yes. So I had to own up to that uh, postponement of happiness mm. because you see, I, I wasn't okay in myself and I was never okay in myself because of the beliefs and the pattern that was ingrained from very early mm. I had to take responsibility to see it and to own that I was perpetuating it mm. on myself mm. that I created the mess that I was in not through anything that anyone else did but mm. through my own misunderstanding. Mm. Um, so there was that, and there was developing a relationship with myself such that I loved myself. Mm. And that was a journey that took some years, some real years, because what I uncovered is that I had a deep self hatred for a very long time. Mm. So I had to uh, really get present with with myself first and foremost and then my 17 year old once my son reached 17 I began to realize about my vibration my inner vibration and how that would impact him so that was that was really interesting because what would happen is he'd come from home he'd come home from school and then be super abusive on me and I'd be like why do I have this child in my life and we'd get into fights you know we'd get into big fights and um 
And then I started to look at, I mean, there is a teenage transition that happens, but before that, it's really about what's my inner dialogue towards myself. And I caught something really interesting. I realized that on the days when I was beating myself up internally, he'd come home and reflect it right at me. Yes, yes. I blame him before I realized, thinking he's the baddie. Yes. Not getting that I was being self-abusive internally. Yes. The minute I switched that, he just, he, there was nothing for him to say. So I've got shivers again. Uh-huh. Okay. Can you uh-huh. say that again? Because I know that who is listening. Okay. The summary of that. The summary of that. I know who's There's listening. There's going to be light, light bulbs that are going to go off here. Right, right. You realized that. I realized that I was self-abusive. So there's an internal dialogue that we have with ourselves all the time. In fact, it's really funny because my first coach that I worked with in 2006, he introduced me to a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. And I'd read the book, but I hadn't quite gotten the context (laughs) of vibration and all of that. And my son at the time, who was 14, laughed. He said, I'm going to tell all my friends that my mum reads a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. He thought it was hilarious. But roll on three years or so, and I was getting that, oh, my gosh, there's this internal beratement of my, myself that I'm not good enough, my life isn't good enough, what I've done isn't good enough, all this stuff. And when I began to be present, which means like the thoughts can be there, but we recognize that they're just thoughts. They're not the truth. They're just thoughts. And then we lose our attachment to them because that's not who we are, right? That's not who we are. And then I began to ask myself the question, what's the end result I'd love with my son here? And I would anchor myself in that end result and I'd keep quiet Mm. instead of reacting to whatever was going on or however he was showing up with me. Mm. And it was a complete game changer. But the change was instead of blaming him for his behavior, Mm. owning it myself in myself mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. so the the catalyst to that you that uh, enabled you to move from that workaholism that was all that had a all yeah. agenda around really yeah. wanting to belong oh, yeah. the catalyst yeah. were you had to get honest with yourself mm-hmm. that you were the one that created the mess you mm-hmm. developed a relationship with yourself where you loved yourself Mm-hmm. you had awareness around that your inner vibration has an effect on those around you and you started to choose what you would love the end result of what you would love mm-hmm. and also i gave up control ah that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah I gave yeah. up control because um my mind and the mind the mind the brain is very scheming you know logically we make an equation if i do x i'll get y and this is how it works and it can be really challenging to give up control to say that we don't have to 
control every aspect. And I see this in businesses, right? In businesses, there's this thing of, we've all got to work really hard and we've all got to do this and it has to be done now. And, you know, and it creates a real stress in people in their central nervous system in a way that actually doesn't let them receive fully the end result of what they want to create anyway. So it's an insanity and most businesses run on insanity and hard work and the striving and the efforting of the will and actually the misplacement of their will. Because that's another thing I learned, that will. I thought will was about us forcing ourselves. And I learned that will is about where we put our focus. Mm -hmm. And it's the will to use our focus powerfully and correctly that gets us Mm. what we And that's not about being in control of the situation and being in control of other people. Even though our deluded mind will tell us it is, comes up with stories like you could, you have to control your people, you have to do this to them and that to them. And it's all based on manipulation. It's very time, ripe time for transformation in all of those toxic practices that we've taken for granted. Yeah. And so when you give up control, mm-hmm. It's not about uh, going into resignation and dropping the ball at all. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a place that you orientate yourself from. Where where do you orientate yourself from? Love is you know <laughs> going for me. It's like I want to drop into my body, and I want to connect with um, the life force that is me the energy that runs through us, right? It's also our sexual energy. And that is not controversial. It's not about sex as in with others. It's about the life force running through us because, you know, I've heard it said this way, we are sex, we come from sex. It's an energy that is what is animating us. And it's based on love right? It's not a romantic love. It's just what life is. And when we really tune in, we feel it. We can feel it deep down, deep in our belly. Mm. And when we allow it, we can breathe it so that it flows and opens the whole of our body. And then we can respond to what's happening in life. But when we try to control that and we lock it in places in our body, we stop the flow we, and then we go numb and being numb in a place where we can't feel ourselves, let alone what's going on out there, then we're not feeling the frequency. We're not feeling the energy of life. Then we're locked in the head. We're locked in the projection. We're back in trying to control it all. Mm. Thank you. And I love how you, how you worded that. You worded it as life force energy and so now I want to go to your work because you are a confidant Mm -hmm. and I would love for you to share because I know this is the work that you do with your people with your clients and I've heard some incredible stories about what has happened as a result of people 
integrating what you have integrated about getting honest with yourself, et cetera, et cetera, down to connecting with the life force within within themselves. Can you tell us an example or examples of one of your most uh, pleasurable <laughs> experiences as a confidant to your clients? What happened for them? Mm. It was absolutely magical. Well, I mean, I have this, you know, this quite stunning story of, of one client who had been locked in a court case for 20 years over a property dispute. And somehow the government had managed to keep all of the investment. And it was about a quarter, maybe half a million pounds. And she had actually given up talking about it. She brought it to the table six months into our work together. And instead of, so she'd done everything. She'd written all the legal letters. She'd written all the, she'd try to force them to give her the money. She'd done everything to try to, you know, get them to pay her back. And it was painful. She didn't want to talk about it, but she did open up to me. And through using the energy of love within a couple of months of that conversation, she had a full refund of all her money. So that was extraordinary. And so extraordinary. So extraordinary. Like that stuff just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, it does. It's just whether we're using, what are we using? What are we implementing? And you asked me about grace a moment ago. Mm. And this is the thing. It's like when we choose to get out of our own way and drop the mental, that's what allows life force, the grace that powers our life force. It's like we come into harmonic resonance with life force, with grace. That's a collective field of consciousness it's not it's available to us all <laughs> that's the best money to describe it's available to us all as long as we are choosing to sort of drop the because control is just a pattern it's not a truth it's a pattern and this is about the laws right it's like do we know the laws of the universe when we think of the law, we think of the law of the land, but what's the law of the universe? And the first law is the law of mentalism, of what we think we create. So if we can drop the thinking that tells us we have to control it all, that, you know, attaches to patterns of orientation that are actually a framework, they're like a matrix. When we drop that, and just come into the body, our home. <laughs> this is our home here while we're in our physical form. It's, it sort of allows that orchestration to happen. And so what I see happened with that client is that she came from a place of love and it was felt, it was received. And then the people receiving it acted in her favor. 
It's such an extraordinary example, that one, isn't it? I find that so extraordinary. Of operating in the world. I mean, I guess the thing is when you say being a confidant to people, it's I first had to be a confidant to myself (laughs) and see the ability that even when I'm in tension and vulnerability and even if I'm in grief I can be present Mm, so true right it's not about blocking out the negative it's not about hiding or trying to protect ourselves and do it's all good or being overly positive it's just about receiving what's here okay I'm angry or you know I'm sad or I'm in grief and instead of because my habit for the longest time was to lock all the doors. So when my son was growing up, I said I was emotionally unpre- totally un- not present. I would literally, I'd be in so much pain. I would force him to just be on his own in his bedroom, which is something I experienced regularly growing up. And I'd go into my room and I'd write and I'd write for hours to try to cathartically get you know find relief and these days I don't need to do any of that I haven't done any of that for years because if there's pain I just I'm just like okay I can breathe here in this and it's amazing what happens when you choose to be present even if you're in pain because people still come to you they still see you and want to interact with you and that, that's also just amazing that, you know, when we're present with it, but if we're not present with it, it's almost like we create an invisible barrier and then people will completely try to avoid us because they feel the funkiness of it. Mm. What is that funkiness? And then they move away. It's really curious. Mm, well, there's, there's your demonstration of your piece, one of the catalysts to moving from wounded entrepreneur to grace is the inner vibration, the inner vibration Mm -hmm. of someone who doesn't want to look at or walk towards Mm -hmm. what's uncomfortable within them. It repels people. Whereas someone who accepts and, and embraces whatever they're present to that acceptance Mm -hmm. creates, it's attractive. It's attractive, which is the antithesis of what we think. We think that that's a weakness. Like if I'm to feel my grief or my anger or my rage or my sadness, then I'm something's wrong with me and yeah. uh, and that's a weakness and I need to be strong all the time. Whereas what you're saying is actually when you can embrace all of you, your humanity, mm-hmm. it's a really powerful, it's a really powerful thing mm-hmm. to do. I don't know if there's something that you want to say in in your words. I feel like you're much more eloquent at talking about this than I am. No, it's just, it's just being able to, one of the things that really helped me identify all of this was um, studying and reading about the matrix of orientation, the set of beliefs that we all have as, as it, that's common across all humanity. It doesn't matter what culture, what background you come from, being able to identify, oh, I'm doing that. That's how I'm, set up you know just having that awareness really helped Mm. you know um and so when I work with clients I tend to take them through that type of foundation and and this is interesting as well because 
I mean, my business has changed quite a bit this last year. I, I don't know whether you want me to talk about yes, it. Yes, but... go for it. Go for it. Because I'd love people to be able to connect with you. you well, know, the, if... the, this goes to what you were saying about following the intuitive pull because, mm-hmm. you know, what was happening in my business is that January would come, people would sign up and that they would stay with me for the year. And, you know, I'd be working with, uh, you know, just more than a handful of people for the year. And, and that was great. And... I realized I wasn't really giving myself space within that a lot of the time. I, I was putting, you know, my own life on hold to be available and to be present because one of the dedications I have when I work with people is I really want to be there <laughs> for them in, in being, walking beside them on, on their journey. And this year, everything changed. And it was really curious because I had begun to see something else in my business. I'd begun to see that I take people through the same fundamental framework, like everyone. And and that instead of repeating myself, I could actually create some trainings that people can access themselves. Perfect, perfect. And take themselves through those basic trainings and then come to me once they wanted more. So the last six months, that's what I've been doing. I've been creating uh, the basic foundation of of an online training, and I've never done it before. So the rational mind goes, well, first of all, this is a really interesting point for business, because often when we have success in a certain way and something slows down or changes, we can try to force it to work how we know that it should be working. But I, by January, I was in a place of, you know, I'm, I no longer force. That's not how I'm living my life. <laughs> and what felt the most natural pull for me was to create this training. Even though I had no experience, even though there were lots of technical things I don't understand, it just felt right. And in January, I thought I had the whole picture. And as the year progressed, I realized that there were lots of little pieces that I needed. And synchronistically, really, synergistically, I happened upon these pieces to the point where, you know, I'm just about to put this out there in the world. How exciting. How exciting. Well, when I publish this episode, maybe you'll be ready to give me a link to put in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. I share it because it's like it I guess the lesson there is about choosing choosing to allow ourselves to be in the unknown and follow what's calling us rather than sticking to a formula or strategy that supposedly is the right way because if my client who had the money back on her Mm -hmm. property had stuck to the formula she probably would have either forgotten about it like buried it never spoken about it again or she would have hired some heavyweight people and spent even more money trying to get exactly exactly and so that puts her in the fight and when we're in fight well, well that's a vibration what are we creating what's it leading to so really um yeah, it's all about energy, isn't it? And our energy is seated in 
the first law, the law of mentalism. Mm. In terms of what we think, we then create. I feel like this particular episode with you, Lizzie, is like a workshop in itself. I can just imagine, I am actually imagining people listening to this episode and hearing what you say. Maybe they've heard it before in a different way and they're hearing it through you and they're ready to hear it. And the symbol that I keep on having throughout this conversation is I just see light bulbs going off, Mm. See light bulbs going off, which is what happens when we're in your presence, because your presence liberates people. Mm. Of course, it needs to be participation by the other, but your presence Mm. liberates people. So I'm just really making, you know, this was a mystery, right? This was a mystery. And I, I feel that what has unfolded is an opportunity or not even an opportunity. I feel like what has unfolded is is an experience of light bulbs going off such that your presence has liberated people. Thank you. Because uh, especially because freedom is my highest value. Of course. Being free of the prisons that we put ourselves in and that we put other people in is um so important to my heart yes yes i would like to well first actually before i go there is is there anything else that you would like to say i know that your intention was you felt like you know you wanted this conversation to be inspiring and encouraging Mm. is there anything else that you feel to say to meet that end result I guess uh, the only thing is that if if people listening feel called to embark on their own journey and enter the mystery, even if they're afraid, that to go for it because it's worth it. It's so worth it. I can't tell you how abundantly purposeful and nourishing it is to give to yourself. And even if that means working with another person to help you and support you, because that's been an invaluable part of my journey along the way is having coaches and guides and mentors and investing in that has been invaluable because it expedites us in our growth and in the depth of our being. So um, that's something I've always valued for myself to give to myself. And I would encourage anyone who may not yet know the way for themselves to have that level of support in their own journey. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And finally, I've done this with a few people that I've interviewed recently. And you probably have listened to those episodes where I ask at the end, or I give you the opportunity for that person to make a declaration. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel I didn't do that this week with, with the other two people, but I feel to do that with you. Mm. So take, I, your, take your yeah. time. Yeah. Or not. <laughs> I, I feel into that. I feel like the devotion, the dedication is around freedom to really live my full potential and to, um, champion that in others too oh that's beautiful that's beautiful and also I'm going to do a little um, addendum ps moment here uh, 
I'm doing everything that I can for Lizzie to come to Croatia on retreat with us and be co-facilitated with Shari and I. So I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, inviting people yeah. to join uh, Croatia shortly. Yeah, yeah. You know, listening to this and maybe you're already on my list. That's something I'm sending out to people shortly and and I would love to be part of it. Yeah, yeah as, as, as I would love for you to be part of it. And to actually meet you in the flesh for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I've all these years. Yes. That happen and I would love that. That would be very magical for you yeah. to, to for being with you and being with Shari. I have absolutely loved her time with you and her interview and I've listened to it quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you oh. so much for your generosity today and for championing freedom. And for showing us that we don't have to be workaholics and also for championing an awareness that has us see potentially why we do what we do. And sometimes we're not doing it for the reasons that we think we do it. And when we have that awareness, everything can change. Thank you for championing the way for us. We're really such a point. Such a good point. That we can go for things that are not a fit for us because it's what we've been told is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Another thing. Mm. And it doesn't fit us. It's like being told to wear a spacesuit like it's yours. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. Mm. So, worth being on the journey to find what does fit. So, thank you for, thank you for being actually um, uh, connected um, because it's been a really powerful you have been a really powerful lead for me thank you such an honor thank you thank you if you enjoyed this episode or previous episodes i would so so appreciate you sharing the love and letting your family, friends and colleagues know about this podcast because the only way that it's going to get out there is if we use word of mouth, the good old word of mouth. So I have my hands in appreciation for you, for those who have already been sharing the love and should this part of the podcast inspire you to share amongst your network i really really appreciate you also i've been saying that i am also returning to my first love which is writing so if you would like to receive me in your inbox every week there is a link in the show notes where you'll be able to subscribe and i look forward to writing to you have an incredible week thank you